What's going on? This is Greg Bueno, and I want to welcome you to The Bueno Take. Today, we'll be circling the bases. On first base, we'll find the race for the American League MVP and the National League MVP. It is definitely a hot race out there. On second base, we'll find the Twins MVP. That one is going to be even more interesting for us Twins fans. And at third base, we're going to go back in time to the 1987 World Series and the 1991 World Series from the perspective of Kent Herbeck. It should be a lot of fun, but let's jump right into first base. On the National League, or NL, we had a lot of really good candidates for the award. MVP is hard to find. It always has been, and it always will. We had names like Charlie Blackman. Wow, what a series that he had during the playoffs. But the entire season was just wonderful to see as a leadoff hitter. Players like Anthony Rizzo. Sure, he was flat. But the Chicago Cubs still made it into the championship series. Bryce Harper with the Washington Nationals. You know, another great year for a young, talented player. But I lowered the number to just three. Giancarlo Stanton with the Miami Marlins had a tremendous year in right field. He is one of the perennial all-stars we have in the game today. His power is only comparable to players like Albert Pujols, um, David Ortiz, or even Aaron Judge. He made a run for the 1961 record of 60 home runs. That's impressive. He hit 59 home runs and kept the Miami Marlins in the conversation up until the last week of the season. He led the National League on on-base plus slugging, OPS. Let's go through a few of his numbers. He had a 281 batting average, a 1.007 on-base plus slugging percentage. He hit 59 home runs, 132 RBIs. That's, that's crazy. 123 runs, that is also an amazing number. An on-base percentage of 376, and a wins above replacement war of 7.6. Now, why isn't he my MVP? He was kind of iffy in September. The Marlins were not really competitive. And that's a big deal when you talk about MVPs. You want a team player. I don't necessarily want someone who is able to hit 60 or 80 home runs or drive in 150 runs. I want a player that is helping the team, a team that goes to the playoffs, a team that wins. That is what makes a player great. A lot of people make the argument that baseball is a sport of individuals. I don't agree with that. I think baseball, more than anything, is a sport of building upon each other. You can hit a solo home run. But it's better to hit a two-run home run with someone on base. They'll give you two runs. It's better to get strikeouts when the bases are loaded instead of having three strikeouts over an inning. 
My second player in contention for the NL MVP is Nolan Arenado from the Colorado Rockies. Now, why is he second instead of third? Easy. The Rockies made it to the playoffs. He had an amazing September, and he definitely was a key instrument to making the Colorado Rockies a contending, interesting team to watch. He had a 309 batting average during the season, an on-base percentage of 959. He had a whopping 37 home runs, 130 RBIs, 100 runs scored, an on-base percentage of 373, and a war of 7.2. Some baseball fans might say that Nolan Arenado is lucky because he plays in the altitude of Denver. However, he had more home runs away from Colorado than at home. It is very important for me that a player is clutch in order to be considered an MVP. He had a 9.75 on-base plus slugging percentage in September when the Rockies were scuffling to get runs. This is really important because without him, I guarantee you they wouldn't have made it to the playoffs. The winner for me of the National League Most Valuable Player is definitely Paul Goldschmidt of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He is great to watch. He is a gold glover. He steals bases as a first baseman. That's incredible. He had a 374 batting average with runners in scoring position. That's great to have coming up. He had the most played appearance with runners in scoring position. That's, that's great. With 18 stolen bases. He hit 297 for the season. And on base plus slugging of 966. He hit 36 home runs. 120 RBIs. 117 runs. A 404 on base percentage. And a war of 5.8. Now... You might think that Arenado's numbers are more important. Yeah, they're even better. But what I think is Paul Goldsmith led the Arizona Diamondbacks to the National League Divisional Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who later on made it to the World Series. For me, Paul Goldsmith is the clear winner for the National League Most Valuable Player. Now, we have made it to friendlier territory. Um, For the American League Most Valuable Player, there were a lot of names that I looked into when I started writing this show. Players like Francisco Lindor and the Cleveland Indians, Jose Ramirez, Craig Kimbrough with the Boston Red Sox as a closer. You know what? I really like having pitchers considered for most valuable players. Jonathan Scope of the Baltimore Orioles had a really good season as well. And players like Nelson Cruz and Mookie Betts also had really good caliber seasons. Now, my three top choices for the American League most valuable player are Mike Trout. I can't leave this guy out. He is just good. As a center fielder, he has definitely excelled in Southern California. He led the 
Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim to a playoff run. They were out five games before the season was done to our beloved Twins. He hit a 306 batting average, an on-base plus slugging of 1.071. He hit 33 home runs, 72 RBIs, 92 runs, a 442 on-base percentage, and a wins above replacement of 6.7. A wins above replacement of 6.7. Why are his numbers a tad low? Let's not forget, between June and July, he had an injury that prevented him from playing. If he would have played, I honestly don't think the Minnesota Twins would be in the playoffs. For my second choice, and I know I'm going to not get the best feedback for this, I'm going to put Aaron Judge. He led the Yankees to the American League Championship Series. He hit 52 home runs as a rookie. As a rookie. 52 home runs. That's, that's a very respectable number. And he had a monster month of September, which it is being clutch, especially when the Yankees wanted to either win the American League East or get the top seed for the wild card. Now, he hit a respectable 284. He had an on-base plus slugging of 1.049. As I said, he hit 52 home runs. He had 114 RBIs. He scored 128 times. He had an on-base percentage of 422 and a wins above replacement of 8.1. My third candidate is Jose Altuve, the second baseman for the Houston Astros. He has led Houston to a World Series. They have never won a single game in the World Series. They got swept in 2005 by the Chicago White Sox. He hit 346, and let's not forget he has won the batting titles in the past three or four years. He has an on-base plus slugging of 957, hitting 24 home runs, 81 RBIs, 112 runs, an on-base percentage of 410, and a wins above replacement of 8.3. It is somewhat of a close race for a lot of people. For me, it really isn't. The Astros are in the World Series. The Yankees are not. Jose Altuve represents for me what baseball is for a Minnesotan. He resembles to me the years of Rod Carew. Now, it's also important to discuss the clutch stats that Jose Altuve had compared to Aaron Judge because that really represents what a true MVP does. In late and close games, Jose Altuve had a batting average of 448. That's first in the majors. Aaron Judge, 215. That's not even good. Versus relievers, Jose Altuve hit 369, while Aaron Judge hit only 261. With runners in scoring position, Jose Altuve hit a respectable 310, while Aaron Judge only hit 259. With two outs and runners in scoring position, Altuve hit 235, while Aaron Judge only hit 219. Look, I'm not saying Aaron Judge is not deserving of the Rookie of the Year. He is, and he's probably going to win it. But if we respect the game of baseball, Jose Altuve should win the American League MVP. All right, with that, we're going to take our first break on the Bueno Take. We'll be right back. Mejia sets, delivers. Ground ball should be three. 
steps on second, go back to first, in time, triple play. Look at Sano pumping his fist. As soon as he caught it, stepped on third base, threw a bullet to Dozier, and Dozier turned the triple play. Wow, that's a rally killer. Welcome back to The Bueno Take. We're going to go into second base now and talk about my twins' favorite topic, defining the MVP. Now, this is difficult because the Twins didn't have a remarkably excellent player. We had comeback players like Byron Buxton. We had surprise players like Kyle Gibson. But we never really had that MVP caliber player. None of our pitchers nor position players were even in consideration for American League MVPs. Now, for MVPs, I have four candidates, starting with our second baseman, Brian Dozier. Without question, he was one of the key members of the Minnesota Twins this season. He hit that leadoff home run at Yankee Stadium in the wildcard game that definitely made more than one fan smile. He hit 271, an 856 on base plus slugging. He hit a whopping 34 home runs, which is great numbers for a second baseman. He had 93 RBIs, scored 106 runs, had an on base percentage of 359, and a war of 4.4. Look, Brian is an easy winner, but there were other players that perhaps were a little bit more in the background that also performed extremely well during the entire season, such as Eddie Rosario. He hit 290 and 836 on base plus slugging, 27 home runs, 78 RBIs, 79 runs. An unbased percentage of 328. Uh, he never took walks. He had a batting average of 290 and only 30 points higher on unbased percentage. And a war of 1.7. These numbers are just not fair. Because he hit a grand slam and he saved so many runs. He was that stereotypical team player. Up and down a the lineup, there was just players that could hit it out could steal a base, could get an out on the field. It was just a fun team to watch. From the pitching standpoint, there were two players that I really looked out for. Jose Barrios, what a comeback for his second year. He pitched 145 innings. He had 139 strikeouts, which it's really almost a strikeout per inning. An ERA of 389, he allowed 8.1 hits per nine innings, and a whip of 1.23. It was definitely a pleasure to see Jose Barrios pitch. He is going to be our future ace, and I really hope that he continues the path that he went on 2017. But Irvin Santana is my clear winner for the 2017 Minnesota Twins Most Valuable Player. Now... Before you change to college football or your favorite TV show, please hear me out because I really think that he shined 
before he got to Yankee Stadium in the wildcard game. Sure, he only lasted a couple of innings in the playoffs, but he had a really good April, a really good May, and he was just consistently good. He pitched 211 innings. I cannot remember the last twin that did that. It was perhaps Carl Pavano in 2010. He had 167 strikeouts, a 328 ERA. He surrendered 7.5 hits per nine innings, and he only allowed 2.6 walks per nine innings. This is all with a whip of only 1.1. He is a role model, and he is someone that we should look up to as fans and as players. We can build upon him. And that is looking forward to the 2018 season. How important is Irvin, Barrios, Rosario, and Dozier going to be for that 2018 Minnesota Twins? I am really excited to see this. All right. With this, we're going to take our final break on the Bueno Take. We'll be right back. All right, thank you for sticking with us on the Bueno Take. We have made our way all the way to third base. For old-fashioned twins, this is important because the day that I'm recording this, Friday, October 27, 2017, was the anniversary of the Minnesota Twins winning the 1991 World Series. Sure. 30 years ago, we won it all for the first time in 1987 against the St. Louis Cardinals. It was definitely something special to see in the Twin Cities. The Minnesota Twins are not a big market team, and we don't have a true winning tradition. We win our own way when we win. The Minnesota Vikings have never won a Super Bowl. They have gone to four of them, three of them in a row, but they have never won. The Minnesota Wilds have never won the Stanley Cup. And the Minnesota Timberwolves have not won either. So for the Twin Cities to win a title represented so much for the community, not only in Minnesota, but in the greater upper Midwest. This was a victory celebrated by everyone in the 87 World Series. But the 91 World Series was also quite special because... It had key moments like Game 7, 10 inning shutout by Jack Morris, the walk-off base hit by Gene Larkin, the double play from Kent Harbeck. Everything was so spectacular to watch that I decided to pick up a book called Tales from the Minnesota Twins Dugout, written by Kent Herbeck. Herbeck is a player born in Bloomington, Minnesota, who grew up idealizing Tony Oliva. He went to occasional games 
at the old Met, where the current Mall of America is. And he fulfilled his dream of becoming a Major League Baseball player for his beloved Minnesota Twins. He takes a lot of pride that he had more walks than strikeouts. He had 838 walks and 798 strikeouts. He hit 293 home runs, none more important than the home run hit on Game 6 of the 1987 World Series. That was a grand salami. And he scored 903 runs. He had 1,086 RBIs. But this is not the real reason why people like Ken Turbeck. He played for 13 seasons, all of them for the Minnesota Twins. But people remember Herbeck because of the two World Series, because of who he was, because he was a figure that I don't know if we'll ever get in the Minnesota Twins again. Sure, Joe Maurer is from St. Paul. He has won the MVP. But there is not a pranker. There is not a great first baseman like Ken Turbeck. The tales that he had on that book. If you have a few hours in your life, seriously, read that book. Because it really teaches you that baseball is not a sport. It's not up for winning or losing. Baseball's fun. And it makes me fall in love with the game every day. There were a few stories that I definitely wanted to bring up in the show. And it is important to know that Kent's first love wasn't really baseball. It was hunting and fishing. In fact, he had an anecdote that on Game 7 of the 1987 World Series, he decided to go fishing with his buddy at 6 in the morning. And then when he came back from fishing at around 2 in the afternoon, he reported to the clubhouse at the Metrodome. I bet you didn't know that, did you? Now, he had a very close relationship with G-Man, or Gary Gaetti. He was his roommate, and they fished and hunted before games on a nearly consistent basis. Gaetti ended up leaving in after the 1990 season and played for the California Angels, now the Los Angeles Angels. But their relationship between G-Man and Herbex was stable when he left. Some of the greatest moments from Kent in his career was Game 6 of the 1987 World Series when he hit a grand slam. (laughs) That's great to do it at any point. But during the postseason, and especially during the World Series, is something that you should feel very proud of, Kent. Also, he had a double play on the 1991 World Series Game 7. Now look, there's a few things on the line here. It was a 0-0 game, and the double play was in a conventional double play. The bases were loaded, 
with one out. There was a ground ball to Kanturbak. He throws home, he gets the out, and then he covers first base for a double play. That is amazing stuff. Kent Herbeck was liked because he retired early. Because he didn't want to leave the baseball field when he was limping or hurt or he couldn't get signed by any Major League Baseball team. He wanted to leave on his own terms. He wanted to enjoy his life with his daughter. He wanted to be at her birthday parties. Another interesting fact about Herbeck's tenure as a Minnesota twin is that he often visited Lord Fletcher's on Lake Minnetonka. Why? Because he was a normal person there. He wasn't the superstar that had won two World Series. He was a regular guest and he just enjoyed being by the water. As a young fan, I didn't get to see her back. I got to experience him on the book. So if you want to relive that, or if you want to get to know the 1987 Twins and the 1991 Twins, that is definitely a piece of literature that you should pick up. His number, number 14, has been retired by the Minnesota Twins. And he even has his own bar at Target Field. It's important to mention that for Kent Herbeck, it wasn't about the numbers. Sure, he cared about having more walks than strikeouts and having a decent 293 batting average over his career. But it wasn't about that for him. He wanted to win a World Series with his hometown team. I don't think we get a lot of that. I don't think we get a lot of homegrown players that feel the jersey. I feel like the baseball game has moved from a team effort to an individualistic effort. The reason why I chose Jose Altuve as the MVP was because the Houston Astros are a better team with him. A player like Aaron Judge, for instance, has really good individual stats. But... As a team, the New York Yankees are not a great team to watch. The media focuses too much on players like Judge or players like David Ortiz because they hit monster home runs. Baseball is about a team effort. Sure, I occasionally like to see Dozier hit a ball to the third deck, but it's not always about that. Kent Herbeck represented the Twins way. Kent Herbeck was homegrown, retired on his terms, and won two World Series. Not a whole lot of players can say that. And he was having fun while he was doing all this. And that is what this game is ultimately about. With this, we slide into home base. I want to thank everyone for joining me on this episode. And I want to make sure that everyone's opinion is heard. For you, who is your MVP? Do you agree with my Twins MVP? 
do you think that Kent Herbeck was as good as I thought he was? Have you read the book? It is fun to hear someone else's opinions besides mine. I want to hear yours. With this, I want to remind you to subscribe on our iTunes account or Stitcher, however you listen to us. Leave a comment. Review it. And with that, we'll catch you next time on The Bueno Take. It's a base hit. It's a one.